On this week's episode, Andy Saunders, builder of over 50 custom cars, tells us his story. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. Nineworks Radio is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Nineworks Radio is presented by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks with special input from friends and experts around the industry, as well as you, our valued listeners. Enjoy the episode. We're back. Hey, listeners. Hey, well, Andy. I'm back in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, listeners. Good to, good to see you. No. We can, uh, we can hear listen. you. Good to no. hear you. Good. Don't even do that. Good, good for you to hear us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's optional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Hopefully that's you're you. listening still. Yeah. How was skiing, my man, or snowboarding? Beg your pardon. You told me off for that last week. Yes, I did. Uh, it was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really good. Excellent. But back to it. Back to it. Yes. And we've got something that I think is fair to say quite quirky or left field for Nine Works this week. Yeah, indeed. Do a yeah. little left field one now and again, just to keep you on your toes. Yeah. This was a brilliant find of yours, Andy. So like, give us a top level of, of what you know about Mr. Andy Saunders, the custom yeah. builder. Well, I used to buy a custom car and street machine when I was a kid, like religiously every month. That would be my pocket money gone. And um, I used to just pour over those magazines. And yeah, Andy Saunders was invariably on the front cover or at least inside with one of his creations. Um, didn't know too much about him other than, you know, what I'd seen in magazines. And then I was in our local pub probably a good couple of years ago. I, I looked at this guy and I thought, sure, that's Andy Saunders. <laughs> I spoke to a couple of friends and bloody hell it was. So yeah, local guy. So it was, uh, yeah. Good opportunity to to speak speak to somebody in the in the custom car scene. Yeah, so a bit of a bit of a hero, a bit of a celebrity for you. And Absolutely. Yeah, like what a lovely bit of luck that the guy is local to us. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just just around the corner, literally. Yeah. So yeah, uh, good interview coming up. I think. Definitely. Definitely. So he um, has built over fifty custom cars. Yeah, which is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think Andy's sort of in his late fifties. Mm. So yeah. At least once, one a year, which just, for, for his, if he was building them since he was a baby. So. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And it's, uh, I think, just to kind of paint the picture for listeners at home, it's not just like putting golf headlights in a in a Sierra. It's like we're talking, at one stage, he was the Guinness World Record holder for, uh, he built the smallest, or was it the, the shortest yeah, the, car, the lowest car? Yeah, the lowest car. car. By built, roof, not, obviously. Uh, three Three different ones. There was a mini, was which was the first one called Claustrophobia. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we should. Well, we we, we will come back to names later on. I think. Um, then there was Flat Out, which is a little Fiat One Two Six that's I, impossibly low. Yeah, knee high. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that was built in three days at Bewley. Um, and then there's a Type Three uh, van transporter that again has been yeah lowered to less than knee height. It's just, <laughs> crazy mobiles but yeah his whole repertoire of the stuff he's done is just yeah nuts really. yes a robin reliance speedboat in there as well oh yeah as we'll one of my favorites yeah so it's we're, we're we're talking that level of um of genius to be quite honest with yes you. yeah artist yes yes, yes. Yeah. and um a, a real kind of affable bloke to go with it i think so yeah yeah we're really looking forward to yeah having a chat with andy excellent shall we go and uh, go and see andy absolutely let's pop up the road okay 
Ron, Andy <laughs> Saunders, thank you very much for, for joining well, us. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Amazing. Um, been a bit of a childhood hero almost for me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you local? You were born local then? No, well. I wasn't born local. I was um, up in South London. Right, okay. Um, but I used to buy custom car and street machine when I was yeah. a kid. So I'm slightly younger than you, I think. I was born um, in 1970, so... Yeah, seven years younger. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, doesn't it go quick? <laughs> doesn't it just? <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I was a, a regular... Well, every month I'd buy a custom car, and quite often one of your cars would pop up. Yeah. Uh, either on the front page or further, further in. I've got... Um, from that period in time, custom car was um, around when I was a child. Yeah. Um, and I used to get that and look at the... Back in the... Late, I think it came out sixty nine or seventy was it? custom yeah. car. So back then, the the hobby was so infant that it included like short circuit, hot rod racing, and yeah. banger racing. It was it was everything because there was no real custom car scene. Then. Got you, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in seventy nine, Street Machine came out, yeah. And um, I got a one feature. Well, my very first feature was in Street Machine, yeah. Um, with the Escort Stepside, and I was nineteen. And I've got a magazine feature, and I was just like, wow. <laughs> and then um, the relationship between me and Street Machine seemed to grow. Yeah. Um, and they featured everything, and it was like front cover after front cover, really. It Amazing. Was, uh, and I just kept coming up with ideas that seemed to ring the bell. Yeah. I don't know where they come from, but <laughs> they, they were never planned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andy, you must have been an editor's dream because as, as somebody in the profession, if there's somebody like you that might put a phone call in and say, I've got this idea or I've built this car and the editor <clears throat> yeah. knows it's probably going to be a cover, you've made yeah. their job very easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, just years and years of awesome content. <laughs> so I'm, I've had quite a few cars over the years, sort of in the, in the mid to late 40s and I've sort of like, yeah, it's quite a, quite a good mm, collection. Yeah. Um, but I'm astonished to read that you've actually you know, customised over 50 cars now. I think where'd, where'd no, you get 63. The time? 63. I think it's 63. Well, where'd you get um, the time? It's, it's funny, actually. Like, um, when I was younger, I did it. Well, I, I've only ever done it because I want to. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, really hard work, but it's not when you enjoy it. It's, yeah. it's like you know, Maxine's an artist and she can de- spend four months doing like a, a four foot by four foot oil painting. Yeah. And there's, there's no effort when you're enjoying it. Because you, you, it's it's what you do, and um, the car started like that, really, with like Mini Ha Ha. Um, yeah, that, that's the first car I remember. Is Mini Ha Ha? Yeah, that was what um, year was that? Nineteen eighty-three. Yeah, so yeah, so I would I'd have been done thirteen, four before that. <laughs> yeah, you've done four before <laughs> four, that. Pull Escort. Yeah, yeah, four. My word. Me, or three or four. Yeah, um, but time-wise, it's it's I'd say it's, I've always worked with my dad, well, when he was alive. Um, yeah. It was me and dad. And then we got a family business and a garage and an MOT station and all that. And, and we worked really hard. Um, and my car work has always been evenings and weekends. Yeah. Um, and everything on my website has been done in during evening and evenings time and weekends. Rather than astonishing. But yeah. uh, what I've noticed is I was always quick. I was always fast at what I did. Um, yeah. And I, I'm very focused. I, like, I can't... 
when I was doing that sort of stuff, my mates were doing cars and they'd have someone round for the evening and, and fiddle around and have a chat. Well, I never did. I've, yeah. I've always been quite insular and I'd lock myself in the garage and there I'd stay until I'd finished the task that I set myself that night. Yeah. And if I finished by 10 o'clock, I would go in. If I finished at midnight, I'd go in at midnight. I wouldn't go in until that task was set. Wow, that's very disciplined. But um, with things like Mini Haha, I know I was very novice when I built that, but that took me like four months. Yeah. Well, over the years, in 2000, I did another version of Mini Haha as an everyday car. Yeah. Um, that took me four weeks. And then in 2008, I had a, an auction of my work um, and they wanted one more car. And I built a Mini Haha 3 um, for oh, that, that auction. And that took me four days. Oh my um, God. including spraying it yeah so i suppose it, you, you just you'd learn how to do it and faster and yeah. faster um, that's just amazing and i love it. it it's really hard work and yet it's not hard work at all yeah if that makes sense yeah so yeah mini haha was the first one that i remember seeing in the magazine if nobody's seen it um i'd suggest having a quick look on uh, andy's website which is um andy saunders.net that's right yeah yeah um it's a short and mini um like in sport, it's spawned many there's been many yeah, since that's what I was gonna but, say um no well i say no one there has been one or two but nearly everyone cuts one in half and then welds the doors in and leaves it open yes um yeah. like i've always wanted to get panels right so that at the age of 19 or 20 um we cut two foot seven out in the middle of it yeah the the cross member that went across the front that used to hold the seats butted up against where the rear subframe flange was Got you. So that gave us a really strong line of weld underneath and somewhere to brace it inside. Yeah. Um, and then the roof, there was there was no way I was going to make it a, a two-door, a, a, a no-door open roadster because, firstly, they look silly because they're too short. Yeah. Um, and I wanted opening doors and proper windows. Make it work, um, yeah. Well, this was one of the lessons. There was a, a chap around, he's still around, Richard Haskell, um, and he used to work at the time with Clive Miles, the custom painter. Yeah. And he, me and him got on really well. And he said, I'll help you with mini ha-ha. And he could weld and I was just learning. Yeah. And he came over and like one of the things, when you cut two foot seven out of a car, this was a, a weekend with him. I probably learned more than I've ever learned with anyone. Yeah. A real a, a apprenticeship. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'd already cut it into three pieces and removed the middle. So I had the front and back and where they butted together, the width of the car was like, oh, it was about three inches difference yeah. across that cut line. And I was then baffled. Um, and he said, <laughs> that's an absolute piece of cake. And we got the chisel, the air chisel, and we sliced down just above the roof gutter on the back two halves and, and the same on the front quarters. And the back ones we pulled out and gusseted and the front yeah. ones we pushed in and seam welded. Got you. And once you've got the roof gutter straight, yeah, you're there. So it's like, it's like coach building, but it's not coach building because you're starting with something. Yes. When you're coach yeah. building, you're rolling the panel. When you're, when, when you're customising or altering or modification, you're actually making what you can out of what you've got. Yes. Which yeah. is, well, I don't know if it's more exciting. It's, it's quicker. Yeah, yeah. So that, that car's been rebuilt by that's, somebody, that's hasn't it, recently? full restoration in Ireland, yeah. yeah. Um, and you've seen it <clears> since? Yes, it appeared um, in 2018. Uh, I had an exhibition of my work at Bewley um, yeah. for three months. and uh, I was gutted not to have made didn't it. get there? No, I no, really wish I had. I was, I, I'm I was not shocked. sure I knew about it, actually. Okay. Uh, thinking back to it. Um, I was thrilled with that. Absolutely thrilled. But they needed one more car. And like nearly everything I've ever built, 
um, that still exist, which is most of them live live in other countries. Yeah. Uh, and I had um, Saline Warrior, the the Reliant Salt Lake racer, came back from France for the exhibition. Yeah. But I had an email some years ago from a guy called Andy Shaw um, saying that he had bought the wreckage that was Minnehaha. Right. Um, so I contacted him and he said, it's completely finished. He said, but I need some enthusiasm to get it running and wire it. <laughs> wow. And he said, this is the enthusiasm I need. So it was actually yeah. relaunched at Bewley and it was on a pedestal. How fantastic. Um, and like when I, when I built that, when I was like 18 or 19, sat cross-legged in the wheel arches with a tub of bitumen underseal. Well, <laughs> yeah. never in my wildest dreams did I think that 35 years later, someone would make it concours. Yeah. Absolutely. But he's yeah. like, all oh, the engine block is is two packed orange, all the wheel arches are done, and it it's like a concourse, but it's absolutely identical to Mini Ha Ha, including the graphics. Amazing! So Amazing. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I'd like to know, kind of, in, at the start, Andy, where this kind of uh, automotive curiosity kind of started, and yeah, well, when I was um, a child, my my dad uh, was an electrician um, by trade, but he had this real deep interest in cars um and on the year that i was born which was 63 he rented um a f- an eight car forecourt um at paul arbor garage yeah which it's not there anymore it's uh, it was um 252 ringwood road okay and it was a texaco petrol station and there was a little showroom with no windows in it like a, a hut and then there was three spaces and he was there for 20 years well that was in the 70s well the, if you look at a car sale place now, there's there's only like six manufacturers on it, and they're yeah. nearly all under the same ownership. There's like Range Rover, Mini, BMW, Audi, Renault, Citroen, and Ford. Well, back yeah. then there was everything. There was Gilburns. There was you know um, all these all these things, and everyone, every manufacturer were making things more exciting because they all wanted to try and outbeat their their competitor, buy something cooler. Yeah, and like. <clears throat> he used to buy all his stock from um, F.E. English in Branksome. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was one of the dealers that used to go down there. Well, by the second-hand? Yeah, yeah, anything that come in part exchange. And he'd go down, and if the, I, I remember, because I used to go with him all the time, and uh, if there was something really nice coming, say there was a, a year or two-year-old Mark One Capri 3-litre or something that he wanted, if there was lots of dealers after that car... Jeff Brown, who used to do the trade cars, he would say, well, you can have it, Ron, but you, you have to buy that Mark II Zodiac that's been sat there for six months. <laughs> so, like, he had to take some of the old crap as well as the To get the, the good nice stuff, stuff. Yeah. yeah. But when I was a kid, I remember so many cars, like E-types. He, he had a... I've, I've mentioned this in this book that I've written because it's so fascinating. In 1975, he bought a one-owner V12 e-type roadster yeah in red i remember it because um it was coming up to mother's day and he took me up ashley road in it and when i opened the door i clipped the door against the curb so I, the whole thing sticks in my mind it was one owner fifty thousand miles it was the chief executive of ham of the engineering's car yeah and it had everything it had chrome wires it had white line tires and all that and he gave 1200 quid for that my god right and he had it about two months and he used it for a little bit and then the petrol crisis hit and he was petrified that that 1200 quid was the price of three cars for stock <laughs> yeah 
And he put that for sale. He dropped it right down. And in the end, Brian Crutcher, that used to have Seaview car sales, that was really high class and all the stuff, he gave him about 25 quid profit on that car My God. just to get it gone because oh, yeah. it was suddenly a, something that you didn't want to own. Yeah, yeah. A V12 Jag. Just a dinosaur but, in those um, times. Yeah. Yeah. And then like Mark One Escort Mexico's and stuff like that. And then we sold, there was a, a customer when I was about 15, um, there was a customer called Rob. I can't remember his surname, but he bought a Mexico, 1600 Mexico. And it was in that real bright blue they used to do, like oh, turquoise yeah. blue. And he come back a week later and he had side pipes on it and he jacked it up and the axle was sprayed red and it had great big um, 100 plus octave wheels on it. Yeah. And uh, I was just mesmerized. <laughs> and, and he took me to Bournemouth Rod and Custom club meeting one night and i went down there in that car with him when i was like 15 yeah and then i met all the local guys because there used to be a real big hot rod scene around here there was like cherry pie mike burden's cherry pie ray christopher was like obviously the hero at the time he had the v8 milk float the yeah the model t cement mixer um the helicopter car like he was he was churning them out like nobody's business and um through going to that club night and meeting all of those i got induced into the the car club and it was God, just, it was fabulous that's really the seed to it all then wasn't it that yeah doing I, that. I think it was um working with with the cars when i was little because like i started chamming cars on a saturday for me dad when i was eight um <laughs> and i didn't get me pocket money if i didn't work so <laughs> and there was eight cars and they used to be like volkswagen Beetles. and even then i i understood the contours of a car yeah. Like, you know, you'd have a Hillman Avenger over there and then next to it was a Beetle. And like when you were shamming it, you realised how completely different they were because your body actually moved in a different way to dry them off. Yeah, yeah. So that side of it, I think subconsciously soaked in as long ago as that. Yeah, so yeah. Seeds, yeah. So your first car that you built was a, a Mark One Escort, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Called? Bird Puller. <laughs> <laughs> that's just amazing <laughs> did well, it that was it did it yeah. <laughs> fantastic I've, I don't even need seen it but it's amazing I've, we've got um, like it, it's funny now because if you look at like cars now you look at that and you think god that was right. that was a funny looking thing yeah but at the time that was now. that was the epitome of what a custom car was it in was at that time yeah so it's a Mark One Escort two door, and oh, there's not a picture of it here, no. but it had all sorts of murals it had, on it. Um, yeah, it's it the rear um, windows sort of reduced in size as well. Yeah, it? at the time it was really fashionable to panel in a window hole and yeah. put a porthole in. That yeah. you could buy portholes everywhere, <laughs> and I didn't want to do that. I, I suppose, like, I I class myself as not a stylist now, but it's I, I I've taken things to a level where most custom people haven't gone because yeah. i think about things that what it would have looked like if the factory had done it like that got you yeah and i was only 16 um and this escort came in part exchange and i just what it was how we come to build it i just found out that i was born with a hole in the heart which i didn't know until yeah. i was 15 yeah um, and i had this real bad turn at school and i had all these tests and they said i needed um open heart surgery within the next year because otherwise i wouldn't have oh, wow. gone much Crack. further yeah and the whole family was so worried and I was petrified. And my dad took this escort in with a set of wheel arches on it and um, and a boot spoiler. And he said, we'll keep that and we'll yeah. build a car. And, and that was actually finished and on the road before I had to have my operation. So I was working <laughs> quick, even when I was... <laughs> <laughs> the heart problem brought on the work ethic. Yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> so that had bubble arches. It had bubble slot, arches on it and a, and a boot spoiler. Yeah. And then um, Dad said, what did I want to do to it? And we learned together. Like, neither of us could weld. Um, oh, wow. Like, the, the rear window shape, I looked at it and I said, I, I don't want portholes. Like, yeah. everyone was having heart-shaped portholes and all that. And they, they looked okay in vans, but I always thought on, like, something like a mini there's a feature in one of the magazines I've had a fit portholes to a minute. Yeah. And they welded up the panel and then cut this hole and it was like a rain porthole don't really go, it doesn't really fit in a panel that's large. It's yeah. sort of, there's no reason it's there. And I said to Dad, I think if we go out the scrapyard um, and we went out the scrapyard and we got two Mark One Escort um, quarter light windows from the front oh, yeah. doors and we just turned around and put them in backwards <laughs> so that gave the, the the glass some kind of symmetry yeah and then the pillar was widened and then at the time it was real um fashionable to have lando bars on which was like the the lincolns used to have it was like a chrome oh to make it look like it's got a convertible yeah. yeah they were cal custom did some and we screwed them on yeah um and then at the at the back we cut the light panel out and we put in we put in some Nissan lights or Datsun at the time, but I can't remember what model it was. Um, but I've never seen another one back yeah. then. They were everywhere, but you, you couldn't probably buy a set of lights now for love. Yeah, yeah. They're probably <laughs> worth a huge amount of money yeah, now. Probably. Yeah. Um, and then at the front, it had an Austin princess grill, which all sounds a bit sort of muddled up, but like I say at that time, that's, yeah, that's, that's what, what, that's what it was all about. That's what the scene was doing. Yeah. Um, the thing is now, it's like there's money coming to it, into this scene, and it hasn't helped it at all because now it's all too pretentious. Yeah, yeah. You know, the creativity of some bloke sort of fiddling around in his front garden or in his little lockup, putting those modifications to a car, he was doing what he wanted to do. Yeah. It's not really acceptable anymore. Well, not that you can anyway with all this monocot rubbish that they're chucking out <laughs> and all this plastic, but it, it stopped the creativity. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Like I said, I think you know the the automotive scene is sort of on its knees anyway, really, isn't it? The yeah. whole thing is everything's too difficult now. Yeah, mm. yeah. Even so, ten years ago, like what you're saying, Andy, there resonates with the the VW scene that Andy Brooks and I have spoken about before. It's kind of where <coughs> we came from. Yeah, uh, in into Porsches, but yeah, even ten years ago, things happen quite quickly at shows whereby the um, the limelight was perhaps taken away from the everyman and punted towards these individuals that ultimately were taking out loans for, you know, 10, 15 grand, mm. giving the car to a paint shop just to have some amazing colour paint job, whatever. Yeah. Chuck the car on airbags and that was it. And it was taken away from people at home that it were wanted- creating something that was truly custom. And then yeah. there was this kind of within... It was this complexity whereby within this modified community, there was a sense of conformity where everybody was trying to do yeah, the a right similar thing, thing yeah. and trying to keep up with everyone. It's it very just got true, which in the 70s, I, I, like I was only a youngster then, but the, the diversity was, every, you know, it went in all directions. Yeah, yeah. It went in all directions. Like in, in um, uh, Haynes Museum in Yeovil, yeah. there's Gary Belcher's Model T. Now, that is kind of tired now but it, it was in it was on the front cover of a magazine in like 1980 yeah and it's never been touched since um i, I only found out just recently that gary belcher died very recently but the car is still in his ownership and he loaned it to haynes so yeah. it's been in haynes for like 30 years but if you look at that it was it did run i don't know if it ever went on the road but it had motorcycle front wheels the back wheels were probably 15 inches wide it had a V12 Jag engine with carburetors on it. Yeah. 
um, and and 12 headers coming out. And it was every single part of that car was polished to perfection on the aluminium and chromed. And they had this little tiny tea bucket body, um, which was in candy red. But then it had, that period in time was what they called, there was fad teas. And it it, it was a tea bucket, which was a, a Ford Model T tea bucket that you'd have got from a roadster. Um, and then they used to do these ridiculous roofs. Well, he had a great big tall brass windscreen, and then the roof went up at an angle of about fifty degrees. <laughs> and then I don't know, the, the roof must have been seven foot tall. And then it came back to the tea bucket. But the thing was exquisite, yeah. so much so that all these years later it is still in Haynes. Wow, I must yeah. check that out. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's fabulous. Like I say, it's tired because it needs someone to just run through it. But it's yeah. only tired because of age. Mm. Yeah. But that was so wild. But then you had um, someone doing like a Vauxhall Victor F-type Sweet FA, um, which was a gasser. And then you had people just starting in the early 80s to do lowriders, like custom lowriders. And it was diverse. Yeah. And and now it it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all a bit sort of regular in some ways. They're doing this retro racing at Pembroke now. And, you you know, it's it's on the sands, not uh, not Pembroke, um, Pendine. Pendine, Pendine. Yes, yeah, yeah, Pendine. Pendine Sands. Yeah, yeah. well played. Well Pendine played. Sands. There's this thing at the minute, like at Pendine Sands, where they're they're reproducing all the hot rods racing on the on the beach. Yeah, um, and it's quite phenomenal, and it is is very interesting to watch. But it's still, however different they're trying to be, they're still part of a movement which kind of all looks the same. Got you. Yeah, they're all but going for the same look. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's never been about that for me. Is to to make it. I, I suppose, like, you know, as much as I was into the custom stuff, I was also into, and, and as I've got older, even more so, I was into, like, the prototype stuff. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, firstly, the stuff that Harley Hill was doing after um, he designed the Buick LeSabre, which, doing some research for my book, I, I never realised quite how famous that car was um, until I realised how many clones of that car have been made around the world. Wow. And yeah. they were made, there was a a German coach builder called Spon. Um, mm-hmm. And after the war, when all the German, um, when all the American GIs were stationed over there, he, he done something like they reckon there's no records left, but they reckon he'd done somewhere around about 250 coach built customs. My word. This is in Germany. And in how the majority long? of them took styling cues from Harley Yours Beauty Sabre. Well, that's wow. fascinating. There's a, there's a French man who I won't pronounce, even try and pronounce <laughs> his name because it's, it's a very, very long, strange name. Um, but he did three versions of the Le Sabre, um, which were all exhibited at Paris Concours d'Elegances. Oh, wow. Now, that would have never come about if Harley Owen had drawn that car. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then then you move into the sixties, and you got like you know the American stuff became a little bit sort of mundane, and you had the Italians take over. And, yeah, you know the the stuff like the the Lancia Zero and um, Ferrari so that, Modulo, just like nuts. Is the Lancia there's there's a Lancia here, isn't it? Yeah, that's I, I did a copy of the, the Zero. Stratos. Yeah, Stratos Zero. Yeah. So that's but, that's got a canopy that lifts up, isn't it? Yeah, the windscreen lifts up. Yeah, hinged at the top. Yeah. They only made one of them, um, and it was um, in the in the um, coach builders forever. It was never to, they they thought it was the most beautiful thing they'd ever come up with, um, and it stayed there forever and a day. And it was never to be sold, although it it did get pushed out to auction about eight or ten years ago, I think. Yeah. But um, when Michael Jackson 
made the film Moonwalker, yeah, he wanted there was one scene in it of, of which I've watched the film, and I've got to say, probably one of the reasons I don't go to the cinema very often. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've watched the film, and there's um, a part where Michael Jackson morphs into a car, yeah, and the car is the Lancia Zero, right. Now, I, I couldn't fathom that out. And um, when my dad was Ill, Ill in hospital, I went to see him one night and um, he had a car magazine there and I flicked through it. And there was a Lancia Zero for sale in Florida yeah. in a two-bit car dealers in a little black and white advert like that. And I, I looked and I thought, that's that's a Zero. It's like, I, firstly, I never thought it was going to leave Baton. And yeah. then secondly, what's it doing in Florida with a flat tire? <laughs> <coughs> and... Uh, I, I came home, I rushed home, and I got all my reference books out, and I looked at it, and I just thought, this, this is, it was perfect. It yeah. was a zero. So I phoned a bloke up. It was so cheap. Um, it was like, I don't know, I can't remember how much it was now, but it was like, I don't know, $10,000 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, this is not making sense. And I phoned him up, and he said, it's not the real zero. And I went, I'm confused now, because it certainly looks like it is. And he, he told me about the Michael Jackson link, and it was him that sent me the video um, when I bought the shell. It was actually Michael Jackson wanted to, to rent. This, this is what I understand. Um, it's a little bit foggy because no one seems to clarify it, but Michael Jackson wanted to hire the Zero. Yeah. And from he the, wasn't allowed the to. Yeah. Um, and they said, absolutely no. So from what anyone understands is Batone took a mold off of it and for him. So wow. I can't imagine how much that costs. Yeah. Like, you've got the only car in the world and you're doing it and you're the most famous coach builder in Italy and you're making a mould for someone that ain't cheap, <laughs> yeah. is it? Um, and he made three body shells and oh, okay. one of them was just a shell. One of them was, I don't think the other one got used. I think they just made it because they had the moulds. And one of them, they made like a Dexian space frame. Yeah. A little engine in the back that sort of propelled it, and that was one that was used in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had no windows, it had no opening doors or apertures yeah. or lights or anything. It was just basically like a fiberglass uh, delta-shaped bubble. Yeah. Um, and and that's what I bought. Um, and that, that's that car? That lot. is that car. That was okay. that was a Michael Jackson film Michael car. J- wow. <clears throat> and what... What did you have to build? The whole chassis? And, um, I started to look. At, like, I, I don't like chassis work or engineering work. I just love body work. Yeah. Um, and I started to look for something of a very similar wheelbase, identical if possible. Yeah. Um, it was just incredible. It was at the time when you could still find these for not a lot of money. Um, Fiat X19 was the oh, same yes. wheelbase. Yeah. And... At the back, the only difference is 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 he had some fancy lance or the original Baton one had a fancy Lancia engine with a transverse quick release diff yeah. and all that in it. Um and he had or the original one had two stainless steel megaphone pipes yeah. coming out of one side and then this diff. Well, the only real difference, because I even managed to get the wheels that were like ninety five percent correct. Um, the only real difference between the the views of the original and mine was I did I had a transverse engine gearbox yeah. in the back so I had um, tube form technology Dan Stanley Green they made me an exhaust system and instead of having two megaphones I had four got you. Um, two yeah. on that side and two on that side so it kind of if it was part next to the original one um, you'd have probably noticed that it wasn't the original one but yeah. it was invited to the Lance Your Owners Club centenary or something up in london when i had it and they had it on display on a turntable so um it rung all the bells with all the people that it should have done yeah and where does that car live now 
Uh, that went to back back to the states. Is it? Yeah, wow. I, I stopped Amazing. there or someone like that. Yeah, crazy looking thing. Um, I'm sure I know the guy that sprayed that. Um, Gary. Yeah, Gary. Gary um, can't think of his surname, but no, yeah. I can't. Gary, <laughs> Gary on the Ashley Road. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a good sprayer. Yeah, he is a great sprayer. Absolutely. <clears throat> he done, I've, I've used different people. Like I used to do my own paint, but like with the um, turn up of two-pack and that, I haven't got the facilities for yeah. it. I'll puff a little bit in here and there and do door shuts. But when it comes to um, full shells, I, I just haven't got the facilities. Yeah. And, I, you know, a little um, charcoal fed mask is okay for a door shut, but it's not right for... <laughs> <laughs> not for <old> <laughs> Not when you can't see across the workshop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, one of the boat, one, one of the boats, one of the cars that really sort of resounded to me when I was uh, sort of in my mid-teens was the boat, yeah. the run aground. <laughs> I mean, what? How did you come up with that? Well, Just the idea that, that idea why, actually yeah. wasn't mine. It was um, a friend that I've had since when Bird Puller was on before I could drive. Um, 1979 after I'd just I'd left school about six weeks and yeah. there was a custom car show in Paul Art Centre oh yeah which was on for two weeks and it was wow. called the Formidable Fortnight yeah um, and I met a guy there called Gary Janes who I, I don't see very often now but he's still local and he's, he builds cars um, and we just got on really well and it was his idea he just said I've always wanted to put a speedboat on the road well he's never actually got around <laughs> to doing anything like that he's gone in a different way yeah but um We'd done this, uh, well, some time later, this idea sort of sprung to mind and I said, do you mind if I do it? And he said, yeah, I'm never going to. Yeah. He said, it's quite an embarrassing idea, really. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a 18-foot long speedboat? Uh, yeah, body, 17, like it was a Monbar, Monbar 146, so it was 14 yeah. foot 6. Yeah. And then um, you've got a Robin Reliant. Yeah, it was a, it was a Regal, um, yeah. which I give, like, it was that was an amazingly cheap build, really, because... Um, this, this, <laughs> this was really funny. I gave a tenner for the Reliant because it just failed its MOT. <laughs> All right. One of my mates that I'd known for years, who I still see now, it was his granddad's car and it failed the MOT. It was a what, 69 on a G, I think yeah. it was. Um, and it just failed its MOT and that was a tenner. Um, which was all a scrap car was worth, especially yeah. the fiberglass one because Trent's didn't want them, did they? No, they, no, they, no, they yeah. no one could get rid of plastic <laughs> yeah. cars because you had to like sort of burn them. Um, and then... I was looking for a little speedboat and there was a guy over Amworthy that was selling these boats and he was making them. It yeah. was his own little company and they were called Monbar. And I stopped, he had one for sale in his house and I stopped and asked and it was it was quite a lot of money um, for a, a shell and it was it was all bonded together. Yeah. And uh, I said to him, I said, I, I am really interested in one. I love the <laughs> shape. this crazy idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't really want to spend that much money. And he said, well, if you're not in a hurry, he said, we do get them with gel coat defects. Yeah. Anyway, about a month later, he phoned me up and he said, we got a perfect hull. He said, but he said, you can have a perfect hull, but the top, when it came out, the gel's lifting, looks like a cauliflower. Yeah. Well, that was absolutely fine. I'd give 350 quid um, <laughs> for, the, for the boat. Um, and it wasn't joined together, yeah. which was absolutely Perfect. ideal because I laid the hull on the ground, um, de-shelled de the Reliant, measured the wheel plan and cut those <laughs> holes <laughs> into the thing yeah. and then lifted the bare chassis in on its wheels, lifted and blocked up the body and then um, strengthened the chassis with angle iron to give a mounting point and then fiberglass some steel into the hull and yeah. then it was bolted from underneath fantastic and by doing it with a three-wheeler like this 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 one just appeared on the net now that's been done in the states and again no one as far as i'm aware had ever done it before right? yeah, yeah. 
But by doing it on a three-wheeler, when you actually saw it going down the road, it actually looked like it was on a trailer because you couldn't see the front wheel. Yeah. <laughs> so it disappeared into oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Mental. How that, did, how, that was MOT'd and roadworthy. Yeah. And um, although we run an MOT station, we, we never had a license to do class three, which were right. three-wheelers. So yeah. that had to go to... They had to go. There used to be a little place down Penhill. Yeah. Um, when you go down Bournemouth Road and you turned off right towards Penhill, there was a little garage down there, and they were a reliant. Yeah. Place. And I phoned them up. <laughs> I remember this. I phoned them up and I said, um, "I've got this little reliant that I've customised, and I'd like to get an MOT." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "We have all sorts of reliance in here." He said, "They have." paintwork on and murals and spoilers and that i said this one looks like a speedboat and he said yeah that's all right yeah let's bring it on in so we made this appointment but he obviously never heard what i said because when i turned up he was just like absolutely gobsmacked <laughs> um and yeah there it was it's Mental. amazing and even Look. when you're kind of tell us how it's all done it's as if it's like the easiest thing in the world yeah. it's like it's <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> well like the, the wheel arches on the back when when i cut out like i cut out like an l shape um and i say l shape in the profile because i came down the side of the boat and then into the boat yeah um to to give the width of the tire and then that left a, a, a cut edge on the fiberglass and i went up I don't know. It was like there used to be two accessory shops around here. There was Serview down the high street, yeah, and then there was um, Jock Shop uh, SMC on Ashley Road, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And one of those places that's only have, recently gone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. He just yeah. uh, he had enough, <clears throat> and um, I went there, and they were Mark One Escort fiberglass arches, and I just pop riveted them on, <laughs> and like the car had just no bodywork because it was all it was all perfect fiberglass. The the, the most um, shaping in the body was to get the deck flat where yeah. the, where the gel coat had lifted off. Amazing, and, amazing. Uh, that had a pair of Alfa Romeo seats in it. Yeah, um, and it was completely standard, <laughs> completely standard. That is in a private collection in London now. Uh, there's a, a really nice property developer developer out there called Gary Hillman, and he's got a collection. He's got a massive collection of bubble um of oh, uh, pedal cars didn't uh, been on the net lately a johnny lot. smith did a little thing around his garage i think someone did one pedal, recently pedal cars and three-wheeler that's like it. He, he, and all that sort of stuff he owns the rights now to the pill company that's so he it makes yes definitely same guy he's got two or three in his house so he's got the boat oh. he's got the boat he's had it about 20 years yeah um and he actually stated on that um program that out of, he had a ferrari estate yeah, they started the interview with this seventies Ferrari. I don't know what it was. I'm not really into things like that. But there was this Ferrari wagon, um, and he started it with that. And then at the end of the interview, he said to the chap, he said, "The speedboat is the car that I will never sell." He said, yeah. "Everything else could go, but I will not sell I'll the sell speedboat." That. And that sat next to two or three George Barris cars. Yeah, and he's got a collection of Barris yes. stuff as well. Yeah. So. Um, it's in good company. Yeah, absolutely. That's, does does he own the transporter as well? No, that okay. went. I sold that um, years ago. Um, it went to the SM Motor Show back in about '89. Um, they had the SM Motor Show was fabulous. It yeah. was organised by a German man called Wolfgang, um, and he'd been doing it for years. And he got to the point where he had enough money that he would throw at the show to make it more spectacular than any other indoor show. And this yeah. particular year, the theme, the, the, they quite often had a huge theme that run throughout the show. And sometimes they had sub-themes where they did different halls with different themes. But this particular year was French. Yeah. Um, and it, and uh, a sort of transporter was asked <laughs> to go over there for that. What did it have on the back of it? 
think Obviously it was empty. The, I, yeah, I think it didn't have the speed boat. I think it was a Citroen, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can't really remember. Um, You've got another amazing CX-based... Um, oh, Indecision. Indecision. Yeah, that's just yeah. been um, tidied up by the new owner. That's it. Um, that, that has... Uh, when I sold that in 87, I think, at the Motor Show in London, um, two dealers bought it from me. And then about three months later, they sold it to a man called Noel Roscoe, who lived up near Brooklyn, somewhere up there. And yeah. he had a collection of like 250 cars. Wow. Um, and I spoke to him, but we, we never became friends. Um, we just weren't compatible as friends. But <laughs> I we, we kept in touch occasionally. Yeah. Um, and then back in 2004, um, I was asked by Goodwood Festival of Speed if I could get the Aurora ready for um, display um, at Goodwood uh, Goodwood Festival of Speed 2004. Which one's Aurora? That's the... Uh, the big black and silver prototype, the original American safety car. Oh, Looks rather aquatic. Not sure I remember that one. No, I can't find it. Let's have a moment, see if I can... Uh, yeah. And uh, they, they, Julius Thurgood come down and he said, um, we, we want the Aurora there. And I said, I, I just can't do it, mate. I said, it, it just... It's, oh, it's, yes. It's so that's just the too sort of crazy 1950s looking thing. Yeah, one-off, yeah. Yeah. And I said, I, I can't do it. I said, there's too much work um, in the time that you've given me. I, I can't get it ready. Yeah. And he said, um, oh, well, that's a shame, Andy. He said, because we were also going to invite the X2000 and Indecision. Yeah. And he said, you would be the only man in the history of concours around the world to have three cars entered in the same concours under three different categories, those being restoration, uh, renovation, and custom. My word. Um, and I just, I looked at him, I said, yeah, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> better, get, better get busy. <laughs> so I phoned Noel Roscoe, um, and I said to him, would he buy it? Would I, could I buy it back? And he said, no, I'm not interested. Uh, he said, "I had the river. Where is it? I went up to his unit. It was actually monstrous." Yeah. Um, he said, "The river broke its banks about four years ago." Oh. Um, he said, "And every car was flooded." He said, "I'm too old to fiddle around with them." He said, "They're all as they were when the river flooded." Yeah. He said, "If you're interested in buying it, um, you can come and have a look." So I went up there and I bought it back, and I had to do a restoration on that as well as yeah. get your all yeah. ready. Um, but after that, Gary Hillman bought it. And it was sat next to runner ground for a while. And then in 2018, it came to uh, Bewley for the exhibition. Oh, yeah. And then Gary put it up for sale on an online auction. And there's a, an artist um, by the name of Esmeralda. Uh, there's a husband and wife, Esmeralda and Wolf yeah. in London, and they've bought it. Wow. Um, and they've had the new interior and that put in it. It's so, amazing how they they all sort of live on, isn't it? Yeah. How much do, do you think most of these have lived on? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, um, I would say there's probably five that no longer exist. Yeah. A bird pillar is one of them, or if it does, it's not been taxed or registered that for years. So yeah. I would imagine it's probably gone. Um, Jagged Edge is gone. The first three actually: bird pillar, Jagged Edge, and. Uh, the escort step side and yep. i know that went because that actually that was got that was a really rusty van when i started because <laughs> um, i didn't have any money p38 <laughs> yeah well it did have a few pop rivers in it <laughs> but um that broke its back and that got destroyed but everything else um is is still in existence it's still existing. it kind of doesn't surprise me and it goes back to we mentioned away from the mics uh liz turner as uh the, the journalist liz turner has written on your website and said that 
Andy Saunders is an artist and the cars are your canvas. And I suppose these are literally that piece of automotive art and, and it resonates with somebody. Yeah. And it means a lot. So it kind of, it holds dear to them and they, yeah. and therefore they like to hold on to it. Yeah. I, I, um, I think it's art because like there's so much work in it. There's so much design work in it. Yeah. Like back in 2001, I held an exhibition for the Turner Prize, um, and I I had this idea when I was in hospital, and afterwards um, I went to I've spoken it through with someone, and they said go and see the uh, managing director of Paul Art Centre, and yeah. I went down there expecting what I had to do was have an uh, an exhibition of my work. Yeah where I invited the public, invited the Turner people, and I had to get six nominations, and then they would come and have a look at the exhibition. Um, and I went down there thinking that what I was going to have to do is hire a room, put a few magazine features up, and yeah. maybe have a car outside, because I, I couldn't, in my mind, I couldn't think how else they were going to do it. Yeah. And um, I got down there, and the bloke was absolutely, this was before computers, and I, I had a portfolio of photographs, and I went down there, and he said... Uh, Oh, the mini ha-ha is so clever and blah, blah, blah. And then he said, I love the cord that you've restored. And I said, well, this is where the difference is, that the cord is a restoration. Yeah. He said, I'm not saying restoration is easy, but all you have to do, however bad it is, you take it apart and you make everything nice and you put it back together. Yeah. There, there's, that's not easy. I'm not saying that because I've done both. But you know when you started what it's going to look like because – that's if it doesn't go back as it was then you haven't done it right yes yeah when you're actually building and designing it's whether it looks right or not is is it can only look right if you've got it right yeah absolutely you know, so many people can get it wrong and he went i see what you mean and yeah. uh i come out of that meeting and and they gave me the whole ground floor of the art center for six weeks leading My up life. to its closure before they refurbed it and i had three cars inside um i had um, what they call lowbrow art, yeah. rusty bonnets with slogans written on them, yeah. um, oil drums painted with flames and stuff like that. And I had 76 nominations wow. um, for the Turner Prize and, and no one from the Tate came to have a look. They, they actually said it wasn't art. Huh. Which I I don't know you can say that because anything that some is creative, however it is, like yeah. poetry can be art. Yeah. You know, if, if someone's put enough effort into it, it's, it's, it's just different people's opinions, I suppose. Well, um, art yeah. is subjective so who, is. Who, who are they to say that it's not art that's the point if you've that's got right. that many nominations yeah. i think by that it's like graffiti in it like sometimes we come down from london at the weekend and i saw some graffiti out the corner of my eye and it's just like wow look at that yeah and it's just like that was amazing that doesn't mean to say some bloke that aerosols on walls art yeah but art is it can be anywhere yeah yeah especially yeah i'd be keen to know andy where you sit in regards to at mainstream automotive manufacturers there's this kind of uh common i don't know, not war but they don't quite get on i'm talking about designers and engineers mm-hmm. where, when a car's kind of from its conception right the way through to production it's this constant kind of battle between designers and engineers um as a custom builder then where do you sit in that what do you think takes precedent with regards to well, your to, to me personally design um I, I just love the way that cars look like you know most of the show car stuff that all the californian west coast scene did in the 60s and 70s that they, they were most of them didn't run some yeah. of ray christopher stuff didn't run 
Um, a lot of the general that really motor- was art then, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of the general in, back in the fifties. If you look through a really, really high quality book on prototypes, half of them were only done as like two foot models. Yeah, there's a picture of a Lincoln fifty four. I think it's a Lincoln fifty four Lincoln like glass topped thing. And there's there's a famous picture of it going around this racetrack, and there's a little man in there with a suit and tie and everything, <laughs> and he's driving this car, and then. There's one book I've got, and it shows it on the next page, and it's a two-foot remote-controlled model. <laughs> but all the press shots, it's so correct that the press shots are showing a real car. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean to say it's not it's, it's not a real car. Obviously, it's a model, but the design has been the same. All yeah. they've done is to, to make it smaller. It was a lot easier than making a full-size clay yeah. when all they wanted to do was take pictures anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because, like... General Motors, everything they launched as a prototype was displayed at their motoramas or autoramas so that the public could go. And they, were, when they went in, they were basically asked to say what designs they liked on that car. That's where designed obsolescence come from. Harley Hill put like the, the fins, the first fins were on the 48 Cadillac and it was just a little tiny hump and the tail light was two inches higher than every other production car at the time. Yeah. And he went into production again with that, even though General Motors told him they didn't want him to. He said, this is this is going to grow. And and it grew annually yeah. through to like 1959 when it started to come down again. But that was because when he went to the, like the 53 Cadillac, it's got a lovely swoop and then a tiny little hump with a lovely taillight in, um, which is slightly taller than the 52 and slightly taller than the 51. But then in 54, it was taller again. Then 55 was silly yeah, because yeah. it almost didn't suit. But the public had gone to these autoramas and said, we really like that trim. We really like that taillight. And, and before the exhibition was over, that next year's production car was already pretty Amazing, much out there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great way to gauge kind of public interest and, very much and how so. receptive they are yeah. to and the it's design. it's kind of lost now. It's, uh, well, it's not kind of lost. It is lost. Mm. Yeah. I went to a, a concourse um, in Germany um, in 2000 and some or other with um, Mentally Insane. And I was um, in this huge concourse in Swetchingham and I was invited under the category of modern coach builder. And uh, there was a guy there from Porsche, a designer from Porsche, and he came over and he said, I just, I love your work. He said, this is stunning. Like it was a 20-year-old accident damaged Bentley Molson. I was yeah. like, <laughs> um anyway um i had a good chat with him and we we became sort of friends over the weekend and he actually worked at porsche and he just said i, I wish I, it's so funny this line he said i wish i had the freedom that you've got yeah and i said well i only do it for a hobby and he said i i've got no freedom at porsche anymore he said the only reason porsche have brought out the the people carrier the suv he said is because sales of the sports cars flumped yeah and it's just like it's now shame yeah yeah you know, obviously they got to keep in the market and they got to keep making things, but you know what they've always been famous for is is kind of dropped off. So they're going to bring in something else. Yeah, and I, I've I've always thought that was a, a very poignant line, really. Yeah, it's something that we ask, um, and we've we've interviewed a series of designers on uh, on Nineworks TV, and it's the one question we seem to ask all the time is how difficult is that line as a as a designer at Porsche because you have to come up with something new but it can't be too new it can't deviate no, into something yeah. completely different there has to be that element of constraint that's right it must be such a tightrope to walk it, completely different to what you do you know 
Yeah, I was, well, I've only got to please me. Yeah. <laughs> if, someone, if someone likes it, it's great. And if they don't, I can't get to it. Really, it's just, I didn't build it for them. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I wouldn't like... There's a lot of people in our scene that are actually now professional builders because they do it for money for other people. I'm pleased that I've... You know, the garage has been... In, in the way of creativity is rather mundane because we service cars, we MOT cars, yeah. and we used to sell motor caravans. Um, but at least that gave me, when I started on something for me, it gave me complete freedom to yeah, do whatever absolutely. I liked. Um, and, you know, even between like, uh, well, if, if someone says to you, oh, I want it to look like this, and you do that, in reality, what you've actually made, even though it is t- t- correct to what you think it should look like from their words, their it's idea of it might yeah, be different. Yeah, different and then, then, then you're on the wrong side again. And yeah. I just, I, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. When I've done, I've done a few commissions for big companies like Hyundai. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. Yeah. yeah. And um, all they want is they've given you a spec and they've given you like six weeks. So as long as you come up within a broad... You know, if they say like the first commission was a Hyundai i10 ice cream van, yeah, um, and and I did that, um, and it was it was very pretty. It was white pearl with blue pearl and pink pearl, and rockets like the old sixties ones. Yeah, and it had a Hyundai um, tailgate, well the tailgate handle that came off of the Hyundai. I made into a third brake light, and that was floating <laughs> in the middle of the back window, yeah. and they were just blown away with it and it was thrown to pieces they they give me the spec they wanted a Hyundai ice cream van that was great it was my free canvas then yeah um and because of the time I had there was no questions it was just like you know this is what you're gonna get yeah that's right yeah and, and it was fabulous and they was loved that it sort of touted around motor shows and things like that then yeah that was launched yeah. at um XL uh, yeah 2007 it was the Hyundai i10 at the time was um, the only, or the cheapest car in the world to come factory fitted with aircon. Okay, so that was their thing, the ice cream. cream. They, they had a load of models sat in there all the time. We never made it into an ice cream van per se because it was only going to be on display. But what they have, they had a freezer box in there plugged into the mains down from yeah. the floor. So these girls were just handing out ice creams all the time to the punters. <laughs> Brilliant. Quality. So we've, we've sort of gone through your early career, lots of interesting cars. Ones that um, I remember from early on and a sort of un- di- slightly different to everything else are the flat cars. Oh, yeah. Claustrophobia. Was, yeah. Uh, sort of Guinness World Record cars. What, what, was the ins- what was the inspiration for that and why did that come around? Well, funnily enough, claustrophobia, which was um, probably the most famous car I, I've ever yeah. done, um, and that's that's a, a Mark One Mini. That's how high? Twenty uh, thirty-four and a half inches. Thirty-four and a half inches. Yeah, that was. Um, I bought that from um, a guy just up the road, Grove Road. He yeah. lived on the end. He had a Thunderbird, and this old Mini was in his drive, and I give him a tenner for it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was absolutely rust-free, but he was just about to scrap it. The The driver's door had fallen off. I'd say it was absolutely rust-free. It needed an A-pillar. Yeah. Um, and I'd never done anything as major as that before because I back in the 60s, there was the, the racing minis called the Sprint. Yeah. And they were sectioned to take a, a profile out of the height of the body. A lot of them had um, like rectangular headlights in, the mini Sprints. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were a lot of them were built by Neville Trickett, and they're actually quite a thing in their own now they're worth quite a lot of money yeah and i wanted to build a mini sprint but i wanted to see how major <laughs> a chop i could do on it so <laughs> before we even chopped the roof what i'd done was um i cut the body 
uh, uh, to section a car is the is one of the biggest modifications you can ever do really and it's what george barris like perfected during yeah. the 50s you get the bare shell and then you you cut a waistband line out of it and you you take out it however much you want out of the body and you lower the top part of the shell down to the bottom yeah and then you've got to like you've got to reshape the bulkhead you've got to make all your doors fit huge work even Massive, on a mini yeah. um and i managed to get six and a half inches out of the height of the waistband yeah and then i chopped it i think it was eight and a quarter inches um, the windscreen was just under six inches tall um and to get wipers to work danny curtis um helped me with the wipers we have um, one motor but we had four arms on it yeah but we didn't have four wipers we had um two horizontal blades one blade on each on a pair of arms so oh, that when yeah. they went up they went like cantilever yeah, yeah. like that yeah, and yeah. that wiped the screen um and that but was that your was, head out out of the sunroof or was um, could you when, actually when I drive drove it? it like uh, the furthest i ever drove that was to i drove it to ostend um <laughs> for a big <laughs> show in belgium and i drove it to um harwich and then off to um copenhagen oh my god um and, and it drove there and back all the way. It did have a few overeating problems because just the radio was Princess Twenty Two Hundred radio in the back, and we just never really got enough airflow. But it, it did a few journeys like that. Madness. Um, but the the thing of the Guinness Book of Records was completely by accident. When I was a kid, I think my biggest um, ambition was to get into Guinness Book of Records. Yeah. But as you grow up, things like that drop off, don't they? And it, it wasn't at all. And when I built that, it appeared on the front cover of Street Machine. Yeah. And they had a picture of me sat in it. And I had my head through the sunroof. And I had my fingers touching the grain through the sliding window of the door. And um, they'd done this magazine feature. And it appeared on the front cover. And it said, the world's lowest car. Yeah. Well, that was a title they made up. Because it wasn't official. It was just, you know, that's what they yeah, yeah. Um, advertised PR, yeah. to sell the magazine. And a couple of months later, the Guinness Book of Records office phoned me um, and they said that they'd seen this magazine and could I confirm the actual height? Um, and they, they actually sent someone down with a yardstick and we measured it. <laughs> and um, although there wasn't quite a category for it at that time, the car that was nearest to it was back in the 70s. There was the Probe, yeah. which I think was the, was it the Adams Brothers. Yeah. Adams Brothers yeah. Probe. And that was, I think that was the car that was in Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Um, and that was 35 inches. So they said, you've taken the record. Anyway, they wow. put, they put it in the Guinness Book of Records, which was great. And they gave me a certificate, which was fine. Um, and then that winter time, um, Marks and Spencers brought out their own book, um, which was Marks and Spencers Extraordinary Records. And yeah. it was about a, a quarter of the thickness. It was just like the wild ones. And on the front cover of that book, there's Tony Jacklin, Bob Geldof, Concord, and Claustrophobia. <laughs> and it's just like, wow. I was like, if, if ever you wish for something hard enough, I'm sure it comes true. <laughs> um, and uh, that, that then uh, started a war. Um, there was people all over the place. Oh, really? Cars. Yeah. yeah, there was um, Perry Watkins took it from me. Um, Danny Curtis took it from Perry. Perry took it back from Danny. Yeah. And then it all went quiet for a while and then in 2006 i think it was um i was asked to do a, a publicity build at Bewley yeah um, during the auto jumble and we had to build a car um in three days it had to start on the friday and finish like five o'clock on the sunday and the idea of a record-breaking car yeah obviously gave a lot of promotion 
um, and we decided again to do the lowest car in the world. Well, yeah. when everyone was taking the record away from me and each other, I actually, we were doing all the MOTs with caffins up the road. Yeah. And I remember one day a Fiat 126 Biz come in and I thought that'd be the car because it's a little two cylinder water cooled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is like under the boot floor. Yeah. Air cooled, isn't it? Um, water cooled. The biz was water, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Yeah. The air cooled okay. one had a big two cylinder thing up here with a little bit of 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 a little bit Anyway, the guy that was organising the promotion for this, I showed him this thing and he said, yeah, we definitely do the Guinness Book Record. So we had to build that in three days. Um, and I, I know Hemmings Motor News in the States were following it online. They were following what was doing it. And it was on um, uh, all these different American websites, like this bloke's building this car in three days <laughs> and he's going to take a Guinness Book Record certificate. And we took the title down. It's really funny. On the Sunday, just before we finished, there was this guy in the audience who'd been there studying it all day. But I knew him, but I, I was so focused on what we was doing. There was three of us yeah. um, and we were just working. We'd worked so hard that we were asleep. And um, it, when we finished it, it was Perry Watkins. And he came over to congratulate me on taking the title away that's from him. <laughs> wow, that's been amazing. Been there to watch yeah. So that that's called flat out, and it was a, a little Fiat one two six. Yeah, that and was um, that was twenty one. I can't remember now. Twenty one <laughs> and a quarter inches, I think. So when you look at it, the the headlights are almost like half the height of the car, and the the wheels are above the the bonnet line by half, yeah. almost half. The, it's and just the nuts. suspension because they had uh, the transverse leaf spring on the front. Yeah, um, that that stayed, but shock absorber wise, we didn't have room for anything. So. If you look, I, th I think this is cool. This was Jim Chalmers, the engineer, that yeah. helped me. I did all the bodywork, and he did things like that. Um, he's made these brackets, and they come out of the bonnet, and they hold two small coilovers, yeah. and they were coilovers off a mountain bike. <laughs> it was only about six <laughs> inches long, and they look kind of like spiderish. It yeah. was like sort of yeah, tarantula yeah. legs stuck up through. Amazing. That's Absolutely actually crazy. now, that is the base of a coffee table in some big um, corporation in California. Is it? They, they bought it and um, they've, they've taken all the running gear out and it's got a glass top on it and it's in their reception. Madness. Oh, wow. Madness. Jeez. <laughs> just, yeah, just goes on and on, doesn't it? Well, yes. oh, that one there, the Empress, that, um, I sold that at auction back. I hated that car. It's one of those cars. You, know, <laughs> you have a couple now and again. Don't yeah, you think, yeah. I wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> um, but that um, ended up in um, Baron Rothschild's collection. Wow. in switzerland he bought it at, at uh, auction amazing amazing um there was one car that i wanted to talk about which one was it oh the audi so that was the first one i think i actually met you at a car show and i think it was probably in surrey somewhere i remember it being on a grass field and i talked to you for about uh, 10 minutes about it and i was a sort of spotty 17 year old so i reckon you know, sort of 1987, something like that, would have been the Audi? Uh, no, which, it was later than that. It was, was it 92. later? 92. Um, I, so that I, was... That I, know, big... I know my life by the years of yeah. the cars, really. Because <laughs> um, I just built Incantation, the lowrider, on yeah. the Pontiac. Um, and that car was so straight. And I and saw it, that, yeah, I saw yeah. that at the show as well. Might but, have been even the same show. Did you take had them at no, the same time? No, because um, the, the Pontiac started to shake itself to death on the hydraulics right and i thought the, the car's too nice as a base yeah. car to let that happen 
Um, like in the States, they do it and leap them all about and then they go and buy new panels where you can't do that over here. Yeah. So we took all the hydraulics out and put that back on standard. It was slightly lower, but it was yeah. standard and I sold that. And then I got another two pumps and, and again, for the purpose of making it different to anything that had ever been, I had the I had all the pumps, hydraulic pumps, chromed and they were in a row on the back seat. Yeah, the back yeah seat I remember it. Yeah, and it was um, upholstered in IKEA curtain material. Yes. <laughs> so it's like a crazy purple colour and it then was yellow, awful, yeah, it? It was, yeah. orange, but yellow. But it was it was of the time, wasn't it? Which was yeah. the sort of cow look. Yeah, in a way, going yeah, on. the yeah. Beatles stuff was yeah. was all like that then. Yeah, and that was such a sort of crazy inspiration. I don't, Lee. I don't know if we can see it here somewhere. It it's here somewhere, there, <clears throat> and um, it's a purple Audi two hundred. I can't seem to find them in amongst all of these. Never so many. And uh, this thing, there it is, the Audition. So it's the old sort of Audi 200. And it. Look, that came about because I just, we, we knew that was probably going to die um, with the hydraulics yeah. on it because, like, it went to the Super Nationals. Like, that had a lift on the back. It was massive, um, it? Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I could sit if I if I bent my neck a little bit, I could sit cross legged under the rear valance with yeah. the suspension up, yeah. and it had a panard on it, panard rod on it to keep the axle in position. Well, where it went up so high, the body went over the panard rod. Yeah. Actually, directed the body so that one wheel stuck out and one wheel was under the <laughs> wheel arch. Um, it, I remember it, you uh, just sort of dancing it. I think yeah. you had a, like a remote control yeah. sort of with the hydraulics coming That's away it. from it. Yeah. And I remember you dancing it at the, at the show. When, um, when I memories. sold that, I sold it for spares because it was uh, buckled. But one of the things that I never achieved, but with low riders, one of the coolest things you can ever do is get it to three wheel, which yeah. is to get one of the front wheels off the ground. Well, firstly, that was the wrong base vehicle anyway, yes, um, yeah. being front wheel drive. Secondly, it was a big, heavy front wheel drive. Um, and I just didn't have the leverage from the batteries because when they do that, they put all the batteries in the corner of the boot, usually Got in you. one area. Well, I, yeah. I had like six batteries all in the corner of the boot of the AD and where it had been dropped and lifted so violently <laughs> over its time. When I sold it, if you looked at the body crease of, that <laughs> runs horizontal down the light of the car, if you get down and looked at it from the tail light and looked along it, it was actually about probably... 60 degrees off of horizontal <laughs> and a rear quarter where the back of the car bent down. It never went on the road. That was, well, when it was first done, I, I drove it around Sandbanks now a couple of times. We used to go up to the, the night jar in Camp for Cliffs yeah. and there was all the posy people up there with the Roses and the BMWs and all that. And I drove in one night in that and it was with my mate Scott who'd helped me do some bits on it. And we drove in and we had it on full lift. Yeah. <laughs> and each corner was independent. So we dropped near side rear and offside front. And as it landed, which made it sort of balance on the other two, yeah. as it landed, we dropped the other two and lifted those up. And <laughs> it walked in. <laughs> but we walked in and we parked it up. And this bloke came over and he said, it, his actual comment was, he said, I've, I've never seen anything like that. He said, it, it kind of looked like a large tarantula walking <laughs> in. <laughs> Jeez. Absolutely unbelievable history of craziness. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's like the build that like um, resonates with you the most? Yeah. Um, I don't know. When I finished it, I'm normally bored of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose there's, there's certain ones. Like, um, I suppose I suppose the most famous car there was a speedboat, but then after that, um, in 1999, I launched the, two, the X2000. Well, the X2000, I never realised um, until I started researching for my book, I never realised quite how famous the X2000 was as a model. 
um, and it was designed by Alex Trimulus, which I knew. Uh, Alex Trimulus was an industrial designer. Um, he was independent, but he worked all the way through from, he worked for uh, Chrysler, he worked for GM, he worked for Ford, uh, he worked for um, LeBaron. Um, he also had done independent projects. Well, after I finished it, I had a phone call from his nephew, Steve, um, and he said, this was like 2000, and he said, I would like to come to England and see what you've done for my uncle's design. So he came over, and we stayed in touch. We, we, you know, we haven't been in each other's pockets, but every now and again we say hello. Anyway, researching for this book, um, I contacted him um, to ask if he had any black and white pictures, because um, some of the companies that keep them, um, they want fortunes to have a picture to, for you to use in a book. And he's been so helpful. He's given us pictures on the X2000. Um, and then he's given us pictures on this, um, the Chrysler Thunderbolt, 42 Thunderbolt. Um, yeah. That was a, a dream car that Alex Trimulus did. Alex Trimulus, his, his first real commercial one was, if you've ever seen um, Tucker, A Man in His Dream, he yeah. was the designer that went to Preston Tucker and said, I want to design your Tucker. Right. And that was his first real big commercial yeah. break. Yeah. Um, anyway... I got on so well with Steve via emails and that, um, that when I'd finished the, the article, the, the um, chapter on the X2000 is about 27 pages long because it's the history of dream cars as well. It's not just about that car. I've, I've yeah. incorporated Ford stuff and GM stuff. Um, anyway, I sent it to Steve for him to read through. I said, can you just check that I've got all the stuff right, right yeah. on Alec, check it, really? Yeah. And he wrote back and, and he, he put in some extras and he said, um, there's a couple of other things that you could add if you so wish to. And it turns out that the, the two-stage rocket that actually took man to the moon, Alex Trimless designed the two-stage rocket. My, my. And he's given us all these blueprint drawings of it and it's got Alex Trimless archives on the bottom and there's all these um, drawings of the rocket going up and then the tail falling off so yeah. it falls further. Um, after the Roswell incident... Alex Trimulus did a story for himself, really, on what extraterrestrial life would travel in if they were to come to our, yeah. country, uh, our planet. Um, and he drew what is basically a flying saucer. And then he wrote a synopsis on how economical it would be. If it was actually revolving, he, he reckons that the economics of it would have been immense. Well, that story got printed on the front cover of the Chicago Sunday Times mm. newspaper, and he is the godfather of the UFO. Until he drew his idea of what it would be like, no one had come up with the, with idea, the idea of a UFO. Of yeah. And it's just like, well, this is amazing. He's let us use all of this. He sent us all the he sent us the article from wow. the, the um, Chicago Sunday Times, um, which is going in the book. So wow. it's, I'm, I'm thrilled with with how that's come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also the the biggest thing, probably the biggest honour with the X2000 was. Um, in 1999, I had a phone call from um, a guy in Australia and he asked if I would accept the car to be displayed in Australia. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm often asked. Um, I said, I've been asked many times. I said, but it's the cost of shipping yeah. that, that normally stifles it. And he said, we are the Melbourne International Motor Show. Um, there are no costs for shipping. We can sort that out. Wow. And I said, right, okay. He said, well, if you're happy with, it coming over he said i'd like to fly to england and see it so he came over when it was on display at Earl's court in 1999 which was the last um it was called motor show yeah and uh, we shook hands on it and i had to take it to john pipes 
um, up the road and they they were going to put it in a container but it actually turned out it was an inch too wide for a container because it was like <laughs> seven foot eight inches wide <laughs> so they had to pack it like a bubble wrap um, and it it was shipped to Australia and it was the press car for the Melbourne International Motor Show Millennium wow. Show awesome um, fabulous and, and, and where is that, it now uh, that is in Quetar right been uh, renovated um according to an email i had some someone the other day they said the car's been renovated over there wow because that's like 22 years old again look. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's just nuts isn't it yeah amazing wow what a what a, a history yeah it's not not going to stop yet either yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i mentioned ne- earlier on <laughs> I, I mentioned earlier on a car that really affected me when i was a kid it was called sweet fa yeah and it was an f-type victor estate and yeah. it was a gasser well, over the years, that car has evolved and, and gone through many different guises. And, and the last one was very weak. The, the guy taken out all of the leaf spring, a gasser. I don't know if you know what gasser yes, is. Yeah. Um, leaf springs at the front. B-Max were really high, really ugly, yeah. um, looking like a 60s drag car. Yeah. Well, who ended up with it? Painted it pale blue, put wishbones on the front, lowered the jack. It had a jack axle, but it was all lowered into the frame. So it was back to standard height. And it, it just, it never worked. Well, that is my probably one of my dream cars. Anyway, yeah. about four years ago, it came up on the net, and I said, "Oh, that's possibly the, like I first saw that car when I was like thirteen. Oh wow! Um, and it is that car. It was then black with mirrored windows. Win mirrored windows. God, yeah, I remember yeah, those. There was yeah, a, it was a. Fi- it's a, got a feature in Hot Car, and it said, "Is this the future of window tinting?" Because up until then, you used to have to aerosol tint on. Yeah. You know, it's it's like people now when they go to these tin places, they don't know that was only like forty years ago. Yeah, mm. yeah. Used to, I remember getting in there with aerosol, and then like it misted it up, you wiped it off, and it all come off on the back of your hand, didn't it? It was like rubbish, <laughs> wasn't it? But um, anyway, I bought that, um, and I'm I'm doing my own take on it. Yeah. Um, which I've made it a two door. Um, I've made it look like a Nomad. Yeah. Um, Chevy Nomad. Um, but that is going right back up in the air. It's got. I think it's it's up my friends at the minute having some chassis work done. Um, and I think it's got, without measuring it, it's got 21 inches grain clearance. <laughs> so flat out could actually go underneath of it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's, tall, it's, it's taller than me. If I yeah. stand next to it, my, my head is probably the top of my head. I'm six foot four. Yeah, and yeah. the roof gutter is probably another two inches above me. And then you've got the curve of the roof. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. But um, that has... Um, it's just been a long effort that's been going on for four years and it's nowhere near ready yeah. yet. <laughs> I mean, because we've talked about like builds that have taken three days. <clears throat> what has been the longest build? What's um, the longest well. build, yeah. the longest build, which, which even now, 30 years later, isn't really finished is the Aurora. Um, and that I, I cannot, I cannot work out like that. That was designed as a prototype in my book. That's got, the, the editor has actually said that that ought to be a book on its own because yeah. through emails in um, 2009, uh, the Aurora got finished for the Goodwood um, Festival of Speed. Yeah. And then it done a couple of museums and it went to Essen Motor Show and that. And then in 2009, it appeared on the front cover of the New York Sunday Times, um, a, a feature of it as I'd restored it, which was unbelievable yeah. um, and from that um i had an awful lot of response and emails yeah. and that and and i was i was polite i replied to everyone but it was at the time when my dad had just died and and i really i 
yeah. couldn't give a toss what was going on because I wasn't interested in sure. anything. Well, doing the research for this book, um, I started to go through, I've kept all of them in a folder in my emails called Aurora and I've yeah. gone through all of them and I've contacted, I spoke to a man at the time called Ronnie and he was, oh, he was, he was getting on then and he was actually one of the employees that worked on the Aurora. Yeah. Um, and then I had an email from a lady called Su- Suzanne who her dad was one of the financial sponsors for it. So I contacted um, these two people and I had an email from Ron's son um, saying that he was rather poorly and, yeah. and he wasn't able to speak to me. But he said, try Peter Molesky. Um, and he gave me his email. So I contacted this chap. Anyway, Peter Molesky's in his 80s now. Peter was Father Giuliano's first full-time employee on the Aurora and he worked for four years. Wow. And he sent me 16... 10 by 8 black and white photographs of the Aurora from the spare Buick chassis they built it on. Yeah. All the wood and egg crate stages, all the clay stages over oh, the wood and egg wow, crate. That's awesome. And it's it's on a white like formica plinth so that it's absolutely horizontal. Yeah. Um and then there's a picture of it which I never even knew that it exhibited there but in 1956 it was invited to the Madison Square Autorama. Yeah. And they accepted the invitation, but the car was, wasn't finished. And when it got close to it, what they'd done, because it wasn't finished, they put the clay buck on and they actually finished and sprayed the clay buck. So it went as a prototype. And there's a picture of four people there, the three full-time employees and Father Giuliano, all in dinner jackets next to the car with the Aurora written above on the sign. It's just <laughs> unreal. Yeah. And then um, he has been so helpful. He He's told me things that like no one has, it's never been published because I don't think, I think because he, he fell out with um, Father Giuliano just before it got finished. Um, and he never really appeared in any magazine features on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, he told me things like the, the build cost of it. In 1957, that prototype actually owed the Aurora Motor Company $300,000. Wow. So that was that was like yeah. the money that Ford was spending on a prototype yeah. back then. And then this lady, Suzanne, um, she was younger. She was actually um, like a 10 or 11-year-old when the car was being built. But her dad um, was funding it as much as he could. And he was actually a carpenter, and he made all of the wooden bucks. He made all of the wooden molds. He made all of the wooden frame to actually hang the fiberglass panels on. Um, and the stories from those two are fascinating and neither of them have ever done an interview for a magazine so it's all fresh information oh, and wow. these pictures have Fantastic. never been seen I, I didn't even know the car appeared at the madison square autorama yeah. um and then i had another email which i i had at this time but i just never got round to like sort of letting it soak in jeffrey hacker um who's possibly the world's officiado on fiberglass cars um he sent me all the um American patent office patent applications for a safety sedan. And it was the Aurora just as it came out, just as he finished it. And it was dated and stamped 1953, December 53. That was, that was even before he bought the chassis because the, the <laughs> chassis that he built it on was a 54 Buick. Yeah. So this guy had been planning this forever. 
Um, and then it flopped. It had an accident on the way to its launch and, and it broke down numerous yeah. times because um, for four years it had been in a dust-filled environment yeah. and it just choked everything up. Oh. And, and then it had a t- terrible flop of a launch and then it was like the laughing stock of the automobile. Yeah, yeah. And yet one of the ideas... There's so many ideas on it, like um, seatbelts. Like yeah. seatbelts had come out before. Then Tucker put them in 48. Um, Volvo, I think, or Saab put them in in 62. So they were quite after, but this was 58. Um, but the other ideas, like um, telescopic steering column, yeah. um, he had the spare wheel was mounted under the bonnet, but it was mounted in the bonnet skin. Hmm. Well, Mark Four Zodiacs had that. They didn't have it in the skin, but they had it in front of the radiator as a yeah. cushion. Um, but the thing that it was meant to have, which I had read and Peter completely confirmed, is it was meant to have, it was not going to have headlights, it was going to have light bars. Well, they've right. only just come out, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 60 <laughs> years later, we're just doing what this bloke was planning on this yeah. prototype. Crazy. I find it fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so when does this book when does this arrive? When, well, um, we're, how is it going? Um, it's, 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 the writing's all finished other than tweaking and photo edits and, and a final read-through with like little additions and tweaks. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, an author um, stroke publisher who's retired, who lives in Spain, who's yeah. really into cars. He's doing the editation for me, Roger Attaway. Um, and he's in contact um, with uh, Carl Lugvitson, the journalist, mm has um, just recommended my... He's read two chapters, and he's recommended me to a publisher in the States. Um, and Roger spoke to him this afternoon, and I've got a phone call with him um, when we finish this. Oh, so, excellent. So, so, busy evening, at the minute, yeah, so, yeah, so I'm going to go to bed with my mind exploding. <laughs> um, hopefully... Um, after this conversation tonight, we know where we're going. Yeah, but, um, fingers Fantastic. crossed on that. Fantastic. Yeah. So wow. I'm not going to say the house just in case it doesn't work, but um, it's <laughs> it's looking quite it's looking positive-ish. Yeah, yeah, super to come yeah. to come. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have to keep listeners posted on the progress of that. Absolutely. Yeah, ready for market. Yeah, yeah, because um, it, it's it's going to be good. Yeah, like it started off. There's a, a, a hot rod magazine, like an underground magazine called Radar. Right. Which has big sales actually. It goes, they got subscribers in India and they do. There's a huge chopper scene, custom chopper bike scene yeah. in like Thailand. Oh, yeah, and big keep, time. Yeah. yeah, it's just bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. They keep featuring stuff from all around the world. And it was one of their guys a little while ago. He said, yeah, You ought to write a book on, on your life because when you're gone, no one will tell it for you. Yeah. And well, that's that, exactly what you know, we're doing here tonight as well. Yeah. Doing yeah, these podcasts that that keeps those stories alive for, yeah. for, for, it does, for years it? ahead. Yeah, years, years ahead. Um, and it, this guy said that, and I, I thought, I started to write a few notes, and then I thought, no, oh, I suppose it could be a coffee table book, because I, you know, I was never very good at English when I was at school, so there's yeah. no reason why I should be now. <laughs> anyway, it, <laughs> um, Roger had, when he was publishing motorcycle magazines, he had a, 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 a layout artist called Mark, and Mark used to do everything. Well, Mark's got involved, and he's done the front cover um, and two chapters just as a tester so we can see what we like with it, and it yeah. is really, really classy. Excellent. But um, it's, I think it's 750 colour pictures. Um, I've got pictures from General Motors. I've, uh, General Motors give me pictures of Harley Hills, Buick Sabre in a studio, front three-quarter and rear three-quarter. Amazing. I've got so much stuff from Alex Trimulus. It's unbelievable. Um and it's a hundred thousand words. 
Oh my um, god! <laughs> and it's, it's, I think at the last count, the way we've let it out is three hundred and thirty-seven pages. My <laughs> word! <laughs> Sounds like you could make a few books out of this, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought about a trilogy thing, but the, there's no natural break for three parts because, yeah. like, a lot of it was before my dad died, and then. After my dad died and I cared for my mum, we had 10 years where I didn't do anything. And then I got back into it. And then um, what I've done since is good. It was probably the best I've ever done, like tetanus. Um, I, I love yeah. that car. But there's not enough to bring in a book. And if you don't have, yeah. the, if you don't have the break in the right place, it's yeah, not going to yeah. work, is yeah, it? Yeah, so it I think it's got to stay as one. Yeah. I love the story of um, tetanus and how it got its name. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> we got there in Codling and went, I'm not touching that without having a tetanus it's because it was so bad, so bad oh it was absolutely shot <laughs> I, i've never ever worried about dirt right I'm, I'm when i work on cars I, I can be really scruffy and there's absolutely nothing about getting in a car that has ever scared me tetanus when you look through the window the the, the all the glass had delaminated delaminated to the point that it looked it was stained like urine you actually couldn't oh, see through wow. it was yellow okay. on yeah. every page when we did get the doors open the interior was like moving on its own. <laughs> all of the maroon Bedford cord had dissolved and all you had was horsehair and, and lamb's wool oh um, and these rusty old springs. And I've, I've never actually put a respirator on to take the interior out of a car, but I did because I, I, I don't know what it was. Like it was, it was abandoned on the Yorkshire Moors for like 15 years. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and kids jumped all over it and crushed the roof and crushed the bonnet and crushed the wings. Um, it was scram. Yeah. But yeah. that's got some lovely history as well. See, um, it's one of 27 right-hand drive cords um, made for um, Africa, England, and Australian market. And the first owner was the Earl of Derby. The second owner in 1949-ish was Jersey Walaski. Well, he was world champion stock car racer at the oh, time. Yeah. He was Poland's highest um, medaled uh, fighter pilot in world war two and yeah. then um he got into stock car racing and he just he was like the very best and he bought it and the old lady that i bought it from whose son had bought it and then couldn't restore it she told me that um it was um it had been made into a stock car but never My raced word. yeah well that it, it had a flathead in the front and austin devon rear axle in it um, which didn't make a lot of sense. But what made no sense to the stock car thing is that it had all its wings on it and the doors weren't welded up. Yeah. Well, one of the things they used to do then for strength was weld all the doors into the shell and then cut the windows up bigger. Well, after it appeared in Street Machine magazine, um, Dave Smith from Street Machine was contacted by a chap from a magazine called, I think it's called Stock Car. Um, it is a hobbyist magazine for stock yeah. cars. It's an incredible magazine. It's like, hundred and something pages in its bright full colour every page. Well, he's the world's officiado on the history of stock cars and he's got all of the um catalogues from when they raced back in yeah. um in the fifties and sixties. Oh, cool, yeah. He's looked through it all and it turns out he he's actually put the pieces together. Jersey Lewaski was um I heard that he was badly injured in a crash as well from this lady Norma. Um what happened, he bought the cord. He always wanted to race an Auburn. Yeah. And he bought an Auburn 851, made it into a stock car. Um, and it was so heavy with a big um, cast iron straight eight in it that he took it out and he bought the cord and he put the running gear from the cord into the Auburn chassis. Yeah. He was number 99. 
Um, anyway, in 51 or 52, the car, the, the Auburn with the cord running gear was um, exported to Australia for the World Championship in February. And in all the races leading up to the World Championship, he was having gear change problems. Yeah. Which those cords used to be like an absolute, you read any report, and they never used to change gear when they were meant to. <laughs> um, so he borrowed a car from an Australian competitor that he became friendly with, and he barrel rolled it during that race so badly that he was in hospital over there for like six months and he could never race again. <laughs> and Tetanus left over here at, or I've called it Tetanus, that had a Ford flathead put in it. Yeah. For what purpose, I don't know, because it was pretty much scrap anyway then. Yeah. Mm. Um, but his running gear was was left in Australia in a, in a race car that never took part in the in the world championship. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Like some of the cars have just pulled so much history from other areas yeah, in yeah, as well. Yeah. Fantastic, it's great, amazing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's well, going to be a good book having all of that documented. Yeah, I'll get yeah. informed. Yeah, yeah. Please do, please do. So, um, uh, obviously, this has been very left field for our listeners because yeah. we're normally a bit of Porsche talk um I, I had one question yeah, sorry for you that. no 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 it's absolutely Great. perfect we love we're we love not, doing a left, the diversity yeah we've we've done quite a few sort of left field ones and people really appreciate it because no. it is something different yeah um and the thing is if you're not into the different you don't know what it is do you exactly you know, I, I love yeah. if if i'm someone brings something to me which grabs me attention it's great and yeah and can send me off on another path on another, yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah i had a question for you you know um you've obviously not done a porsche build no i haven't no yeah what would you do if you um if you were tasked if you tasked yeah, yourself a, to do one that's a funny question yeah um what would you do i do you know i've no idea um probably a, a three five six yeah um or something like that like not that i could get a real one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh and it funny like this is going back to um childhood and that, like across the road when i was like in my teens there was bill phillips the number plate dealer and yeah. he had a three five six coupe over there yeah which was hand painted blue yeah it was a bass I don't know what year it was, 62 or 63. It had a number on it that he'd taken off and sold. Yeah. And it had no engine and gearbox in it. And I could have bought that back in, I don't know, when I was old enough to drive. So that would have been like mid-80s. I, I could have had that for like 75 quid. Yeah. yeah. No one wanted it. No, no. Everyone looked alike. The paint was an inch thick. And it yeah. was like, that's, that's scrap. Yeah. Was it? How's he ever going to get rid of that? It's like, now. Yeah. <laughs> How much that would be I don't know yeah. what it's worth now if it was in that state. I Probably Great still, question, you know, yeah. yeah, good, real good money, I yeah. would think. Yeah, 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 it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, like, so take- I, I have seen, um, or, or in, in my mind's eye, I've, I've probably subconsciously seen it somewhere else at some point, but I've seen a black one of those where they've like kind of pulled the wings out, so yeah. it's not really got arches on it, it's just fat, um, yeah, and it was absolutely stunning. Yeah, but, so um, there's a guy in the US called Rod Emery, oh, is that? Um, and he basically takes three five sixes and does quite big modifications to them does he you know he does uh it'll take the body and chop the body move the roof lines around do oh, lots of yeah you, okay. i think you should have a good look at his stuff rod. actually um rod, rod emery oh well i'll have a look at yeah. that um yeah he's amazing sort of customization of three right. five sixes but it's the kind of customization that you you kind of look at it, you know it's a 356, you know it looks amazing, you know but you don't done. know what's yeah, been that's done. Right, that's clever. So the, yeah. I like that sort of work. Yeah, really good. And another thing, that would, I, because I've got so much into prototype stuff, is like the early 
like I don't know if it was a prototype of a three five six, but there one with like no rear window, didn't we? Like slats in it, a bit yeah. like the Tatra, yes, and all that. And I remember seeing a picture of that at the front. It's like really narrow. It looks like an Austin A thirty with a split windscreen. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be fascinating to do. Yeah, but uh, so you'd you'd be early three five six probably type stuff probably yeah. 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 Um, I do like I've I've never really been into um, modern cars so I might even get the model wrong but there was one that I remember on Top Gear they they, um, interviewed the designer and it was the same bloke you'll know what model it is by this I think it's a 928 it was the same bloke that designed the Sierra 2 door Oof, and if you look question. at like the the window, is it a 928? It's got yeah. it's got a, a door which is almost symmetrical, isn't it? Yes. and then a big curved sort of triangulated window, yeah, the round pop up. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is stunning. I I, I mm. do like that. Who's yeah. that designer? Was it a German guy? Wolfgang Mobius? No, it was English bloke. I, well, I'd say that was years ago. I might be wrong yeah. on that. Mm. Um, but they, I remember Jeremy Clarkson in his sarcastic way. He said, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so. If you've done something as beautiful as this, how can you compare this to the Sierra T-Door? <laughs> and it's like, well, it, it sort of shows his ignorance, really, because <laughs> yeah. you, you can see the similarities. Are, are, yeah. They're not the same, but you can see they've come out of the same the, mind. The same because, mind, yeah, uh, yeah The same flow, because the two-door Sierra with that great big back window was stunning, wasn't it? Yeah. Such a good point, yeah. now. Now you've mentioned that. Yeah. I've like never been able to like, correlate them in my head, but putting them next to each other now. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's yeah okay. Same, and, and, and they differed immensely, but, they, you know, they, you can see certain designers were, and you just know it's that person. It's their, their, yeah, their, their, whether they're customizers or whether they're like Italian gurus, you know, they, they, it's like music, isn't it? When someone gets a style of music, they can rarely break from that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's the same with car design. Once you've got the pen and you know how to flow it, like if you look at the, the stuff from, well, General Motors, it was all under Harley Hill's design, but each company, Buick, Pontiac, Chevrolet, etc., they all had their own designers, and, and um, Harley Hill just went round and said, well, I like that one, and I don't like that one. Yeah, yeah. So you've got different influences, but it's all one bloke. It's always the same lines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing. Good. Um, one last question from me was uh, names. So we had, um, we, we did a, an episode of, was it last episode or the episode before, wasn't it? Yeah. And we were asking, you know, why people named their cars okay. or what, what gave them the inspiration. And obviously all of your cars have, have had names over the years. Back in the 60s and 70s, like, you know, the, the hot rod movement really f- first got a huge step up in this country when, like, John Bonham um, went to the States and, and he brought in, there were there several cars come in. There was a, a, a T uh van a sea cab called andy's instant tea which was built in the states at the time there was the boston strangler yeah um and it was quite normal to name a car and we was only i was talking to roger i think the editor the other day and he said when they look back at the 2020s they how are they going to say oh do you remember it was that 32 ford that was in bright red yeah, <laughs> like yeah. nothing has got a name now yeah and I always did, like Jagged Edge, um, that was an XJ6 that my dad took in part exchange, and it was really tatty. And it got nicknamed Jagged Edge because it, <laughs> it had a load of Jagged Edges on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Rainbow Chaser took me ages to name that because I was, I was young then, and it was like quite important that I got the right name. And it was a toss-up between Poetry in Motion and, and Rainbow Chaser, yeah. and, and it became Rainbow Chaser. And then others, like the audition, it was just like... It's an Audi 200. Um, audition is, is halfway there, isn't it? Audi is <laughs> half of audition, and yeah. that worked. Yeah. 
Um, oh, fantastic. And then look, I've just got to tell you this, one of the best names, the funniest name ever, and, and one that came about completely by accident, as sometimes they do, Mentally Insane, the, yeah. the, the Bentley Mulsanne. Um, one night I was talking to Donna, the tarot card reader's boyfriend, Rod, and he, he was just chatting and he said, um, how's the old, uh, how's the old Bentley insane coming on? <laughs> and I went, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. And, and I didn't think anything of it. And then a little while later, I was talking to Lance McCormack from Romance and Rust and he went, how's the old Bentley coming on? <laughs> and I stood there and I just went, I've just been given the best name in the world. <laughs> yeah, both people had the same idea, but in, on the different words. And then if it was spelt right, it was like almost a play on words because instead of being the Molsan, it was the insane. So yeah, it was yeah. insane. Yeah. Amazing. Perfect name. Yeah, Perfect absolutely. Name. So Fantastic. The name's almost as creative as the cars themselves like. Yeah. yeah. Some like genesis of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Amazing. Brilliant. Well, Brilliant. Andy Saunders. Uh, custom car extraordinaire thank you very much for joining us yeah, this thank evening. you for uh, coming down and inviting me it was great really appreciated it really thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you well lee what did you think to that then that was amazing amazing can that... we talk about andy's house quickly first yes it was like the lair amazing 1970s lair it was so cool and um need one, one of those little furry cats <laughs> <laughs> well andy said that uh, his wife maxine who's lovely by the way it was really nice to meet maxine um is an artist and you definitely got that vibe in there yes. there's, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah lots going on so yeah fantastic andy thanks for letting us come around to your your lovely house yeah thank you very much yeah it was absolutely brilliant to meet you yeah um yeah, great conversation. Just so many crazy ideas and cars. And not just custom cars, but like taking uh, a couple of cars that were concept cars and rebuilding those. Um, I can't wait to read that book that he's working on. Agreed, yeah. And, you know, we touched on it that e each of those projects are kind of pieces of automotive art. And it's yeah. great to hear how they're so cherished and they've found homes all around the world. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, most of them still exist yeah. in one one way or another yeah, yeah, around the world. Amazing. Yeah, super cool. Like, um, yeah, so like, I mean, well done, Mr. Andy B as well for, for finding that because that's a, it's a different part of car culture and it's yeah. a corner obviously we've not um, explored because we seem to be Porsche centric on this pod. Yeah. So, but, but it's nice to deviate every now and then and yeah. just have a look elsewhere. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it gives you fresh ideas in the Porsche world as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. What's next for the 993 then? That's going to be the world's, oh, yeah. the world's the lowest 993. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Excellent. It's Good. worth um, touching on names. Yes. I mean, every one of Andy's cars got a name, yeah. either invented by himself or friends. It's just yeah. brilliant. I love tetanus. Yeah. <laughs> it's tetanus just so funny. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. But yeah, some good names. We had, um, obviously we did our naming episode a, few, a couple of episodes ago and we asked people uh, why they had named their cars and um, what they'd come up with. So I thought we'd just um, pick out a few of our favourites that were on that Instagram yeah. post. Yeah, again, ties in quite nicely with, with Andy's rather creative names. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think from from what listeners have been saying, there's, there tends to be a few more kind of Christian names in there. Yeah. <laughs> what people yeah. tend to name their cars. So. Absolutely. So should we have a quick run through? I'll, um, I'll pick the first one. Um, this is uh, Yorkshire Mike. Um, he says, I've never named my cars and it's reasonable to conclude to conclude buddies didn't feel the love for macadema metallic in the same way that i do uh, it took me three years to find the spec that i wanted in in my must-have color so here goes 
It's affectionately known by my friends as the turd <laughs> on a kind day and the shit box when they want to be exceptionally cruel. Who needs enemies? <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I love that. Oh, dear. I wonder if it's uh, what it's called more often, is it? The turd or the shit box? <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. That is phenomenal. Amazing. Uh, tops to Yorkshire, Mike. Um, Mr. Coin, Anthony Coin. He's a, a fellow living the legend columnist yes, like yes. yourself. And uh, Anthony says uh, they are nameless victims to me. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Which is brilliant because he's uh, 997 Gen 2. He has done some miles in that car. Yeah. He's, a, he's a Brit who's recently moved to uh, to the States, him and his uh, lovely wife, Renee, um, and the dog as well, Alfred. Yeah. And yep, they're one car, the family car that does absolutely everything, including like big you know hundreds of mile round yeah. trips to, to specialist vets and whatnot it's all done with this 997 it is a victim it, with bucket seats as well oh. you know like yeah with folding buckets yeah but uh yeah definitely kind of underlines the uh dexterity if you like of the 997 <laughs> so yes tops anthony but yeah name nameless victim that's that's fair play yeah made me chuckle uh another one we've got is from oh how do we pronounce that come on give me give me a help Ooh, let's have a glenn Cord- glenn cordle cordle I would have totally mucked that up with my dyslexia. <laughs> um, so he he is, I don't know if you've know, well, if you know his stuff, but he does amazing renders, oh, 3D right. renders. Okay. Um, ones that I know that he's done are some Singer stuff. I think he's done some Singer stuff for Singer, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, he's also done a lot of 914 stuff. Um, and just, yeah, just amazing renders. You'll have to have a look. Awesome. Gren- Glenn Cordell. Cordell. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so the name of his car is Windwalker. He says, when I finished my sixth swap into my 914, I had 500 miles, an oil change, and a valve adjustment before I hit the road for a cross-country road trip and rally. The trip was 3,500 miles in total, with the furthest point being a ranch where I stayed, and that was called the Windwalker Ranch. <laughs> so... Yeah, lovely tale of why it's called that. Uh, that's documented on his um, Instagram account, which is Glenn underscore in underscore the underscore garage. Very good. Yeah, take Very a look good. at that. Well played, well played. Uh, I will go for uh, Ashton Craft. Yep. You left that one for me, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so Ashton Craft, um, he says, my 72 Turbo Outlaw has become stickers as I can't help but add a crazy new sticker to her before every road trip. Okay, I love how uh, 72 Turbo Outlaw has a sex. It's, uh, it's not an inanimate object now. It's, it's a female. Yeah. So I can't help but add a new crazy sticker to her before every road trip. Always fun rolling with Pablo the Porsche. Okay, so that will be one of your East Coast buddies, I yes. assume. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Cool. Nice one, Ashton Craft. Yes, indeed. And I think we've got one more here. Uh, what's that? Alex Reed. Uh, don't tend to name cars, but my eight-year-old daughter named 996 Grampy because it's old grey and apparently a bit smelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. Nasty. brilliant. I like it. Great stuff. Yeah, I wonder if Grampy knows that the car's called that <laughs> <Yeah. as well. laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, thanks for those. And keep sharing them with us as well. It's kind of quirky to just kind of nip back to that and see what people are naming their cars, if indeed one does so. Yeah, indeed. Mm 
Uh, we also had an, another DIY story that I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, we sort of went into to crazy stories a little while ago. Uh, Joe Chamber Benton, who's a one of our patrons, um, recently joined us. Thank you, Joe. Um, he hasn't got. He still hasn't got a Porsche. He's still looking. He's looking for a 997, if I remember rightly. Um, and he says, now I've still not got a Porsche yet, but after listening to the bodge jobs, I thought I'd share a few of my own with my 66 bug in my pre twenties. So when he was a teenager, um, so bug had been running fine for a while, had a show coming up, which was 10 minutes down the road, gave it a quick clean the day before all was fine. On the day of the show, I started driving. The ball joint decided to fail, but there was no way I wasn't getting to the show. <laughs> I knew I had some tie wraps in the car. Cringe. Um, so I managed, <laughs> I managed to tie wrap the ball joint back to the bottom arm. You are joking. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I was surprised that held. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I took it steady. It got me there and back. Um, but it was a sketchy journey. I was going down a hill, hit 40 miles an hour, and the wheel started wobbling. Uh, pulled, f- pulled over and set back off and kept a max speed of 30. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all you can do in a bug anyway. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> Tie wraps for a ball joint. Man, you're brave. Uh, Joe, brave man. Yeah, yeah. Um, brave A for doing it at the time, and um, by virtue of the fact that you're still here as well, like brave to share it with <laughs> yeah. a, a large online audience. So yeah, Absolutely. fair play. And on that note, if anybody else has got any DIY bodge stories or clangers, definitely get in contact and let us know. I, yeah. I don't know about you. I think there's there's scope to do like a full on episode. A full episode, that. yeah. I think I, there I've is. got hours of bad, bad bodges. <laughs> bad bodges. <laughs> yeah, so. let's do that next uh, series, I reckon. Uh, we've also got some reviews from some lovely listeners. Amazing. So um, this was part last... of a competition that you ran with Porsche Yes, Bournemouth. Yes, and we need to announce um, the winner. Announce the winner for that as well. We've got one from Nick Modha, who is one of our original um, patrons. Uh, quality, innovative pod for an all-inclusive Porsche audience. It's short and sweet, but thank you very short much. Short and sweet. Nice one, Nick. Yeah, I've yeah. spied Nick's car as well at Barnsport at yes, the moment, it is, having a lot yeah. of work done. So, yeah, yeah nice one, Nick. Um, yeah. And Nick and Scotty from Barnsport were introduced to each other at Carnatter. Yes, our they show were, yeah. from last year. So yeah. that's really nice that we're connecting people from yeah. around the community. And you're going down to Barn Sport today, aren't you? Yes, I am. So I shall be ogling Nick's car again yeah. while uh, Scott tries to, well, I'm sure he will, have no problem installing the seats. So yes. Excellent. Good, good. good. More good. on that next week, I'm sure. Um, then we've also got uh, quality Porsche chit chat uh, and fans of the funny headlights. It's <laughs> a shame they don't come from Yorkshire. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, Steel City Porsche. That's uh, Richard. Thank you for another short but sweet review. Yes. Can't Excellent. get my words out. Excellent. And we've got one more there. Should we read that one out? One more. And this is, is was drawn as the winner of, of our little giveaway. Is this why Porsche. it was drawn as the winner? No, no, no. It was random. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it was random. I did it last Sunday. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> no, no, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt it. So, uh, titled The Essential Weekly Porsche Fix. Yep. Strong title. Indeed. And uh, shall I announce the winner first or do it last? Uh, up to you. Okay. On. Well, this person says, a really enjoyable, well-informed, insightful podcast with something for every portion nut, including some really high-profile people from the P-Car world. 
brackets, such as Andy B, (laughs) (laughs) as well as lots of possibly less well-known but equally interesting guests to get to know and to hear their stories. Now an essential part of my work from home routine, keep up the great work team fantastic review which we said actually away from the mic so yeah. that is kind of our mission statement actually for it doing is, this yeah. whole kind of pod in the first place yeah uh, but that was submitted by matt pickering indeed yeah who is our so, competition winner yeah thank you for the review and thank and yes so the and the yeah, prize was uh, it was a 911 carrera rsr turbo 2.1 model Ah, okay. I was, that was really exciting. <laughs> yeah, until sorry. the model at the, the end, model, which yeah. is equally cool, but maybe the real thing might have been slightly better, but we'll, we'll try harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll try for the bigger things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming up soon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh, supplied by the kind chaps, uh, including John Piper at Porsche Centre Bournemouth. So yeah. thanks, guys, for that. That's absolutely spot on. Perfect. And a really nice model. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that wraps it up for today. Yes. So thank you so much to Andy Saunders for for allowing us to interview in and just coming up with a wealth of knowledge. It was absolutely fantastic to, to speak to you and meet, meet you, um, both you and Maxine. Um, so yeah, thank you, Andy. Nice one guys. Yeah. And thanks at home for listening as well. We'll be back next week with more car stuff that might be slightly more Porsche oriented. Indeed. Possibly. All right. See you later. See you later.